Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Chris Bianco coming up in a little bit, but first I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing well, Daddy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. Oakland restaurateur Oscar Edwards announced that he is opening Cali, a new restaurant that will serve dishes from Trap Kitchen and other California restaurants, plus some Cajun fare. Trap Kitchen, of course, is the L.A.-based pop-up that has spawned something of a, a movement up and down the West Coast. There's food trucks, there's restaurants in Oakland and Portland, Oregon. Oscar Edwards is the owner of the Trap Kitchen location in Oakland. So that's the connection between Trap Kitchen and Cali, the new restaurant that's opening in Houston later this fall. Matt, let me just let me just throw it to you. What do you are you familiar with Trap Kitchen? And and if so, are you excited about the prospect of some of its signature dishes like pineapple bowls, mac and cheese, and lobster pizza coming to Houston? I am vaguely familiar with Trap Kitchen. If you want to talk about trap music, I'm your guy. Excuse me, what? But uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I I think that uh, on the whole, Houston is a very, very attractive spot for restaurants, both locally, nationally, and internationally. So not a big surprise that someone would, would choose Houston as as their next outpost. Yeah, I have to admit, the Trap Kitchen is not something that I was very familiar with. So, of course, you know, I did a little Googling. Apparently, the chefs are both, they were rival gang members, and they sort of teamed up in an apartment and started serving food to people, and they built a following enough that they have authored two cookbooks, uh, the second of which is about mac and cheese. It came out pretty recently Snoop Dogg wrote the intro. So that's that's kind of the level of celebrity that these guys have achieved. And I also learned that TRAP apparently is an acronym for Take Risks and Prosper. So, you know, this is this is all this is all new to me, but I've you know, I've seen the pictures of the the pineapple bowls with the the chicken teriyaki or the sauteed shrimp. I've seen, you know, obviously the mac and cheese is is very well thought of. So I, I'm I'm intrigued. Well, in their favor, they've got the uh, take risk part down. But I, I think Houston's a, a, you know, a good landing spot that specifically, I mean, we have some, some uh, turkey leg hut comes to mind as something that serves some of that um, sort of comfort food. Uh, and and they've done very very well. Um, so, do we know if it's going to be food truck or if it's going to be brick and mortar? Oh no no no! This is a brick and mortar. They have claimed the okay. former brick house tavern and tap space on Highway 290, just outside the Loop, and that that will be where Cali operates. Yeah, you know, I I feel a little bit I feel a little bit awkward as two white guys talking about black owned restaurants, but. You know, I do think Houston has, has, you know, I had Marcus Davis on 
uh, the podcast a little bit ago, and he talked about how Houston has really become a, a mecca for for black entrepreneurs. Black Restaurant Week started here, and you know if we look at not just not just Turkey Leg Hut and Marcus's restaurants, the Breakfast Club, uh, and culture, but but even you know James Harden's Thirteen, and then Prospect Park and its affiliated restaurants like Lost and Found and Camp, and now there's Warwick, and we've talked about Juliet, and and you know more and more all the time that it would make sense that a, that a prominent black owned brand would see opportunity in Houston just as lots of other restaurant groups do. No, I think that's right. I, and, and just uh, two others, I think worth mentioning, uh, Lucille's, Chris Williams and team, and uh, Late August, which is uh, coming soon. And Chopping Block and Opie and his team are both, you know. Right, Chopping Block just featured, just featured in the New York Times. Greg Gatlin and Michelle Wallace, they just opened Gatlin's Fins and Feathers. That's, that's a, a strong lineup. So. Yeah. And, I, uh, you know, that, 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 that brick and tavern is a pretty good location. It's, it's not really, it is outside the loop. Settle down, people. Um, <laughs> but uh, but there's a lot convenient. of restaurants in that general area, right? I know the Pappas, uh, Pappas Restaurants has a bunch of restaurants near there. You know, there's other sort of chain restaurants. So it's, it's certainly a popular area for dining. And it's not so far outside the loop that people can't get there. And, you know, it's a growing area, right? That's kind of the next, if, you, if you're priced out of the Heights, either as, a, either as an operator or as, as a home buyer, you know, going just beyond it outside the loop makes a lot of sense. Indeed. And one other thing that they have, which is uh, precious in, in uh, Houston, parking. Right. Parking for days. Plenty of parking. Plenty of parking. <laughs> So it, it definitely has my uh, my curiosity. What's our timeline again for this opening? Do we have one? So, you know, always a little bit touch and go, but they're thinking November. So pretty soon. Okay. And we'll do more about this, right? Like, I, you know, I, 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 I know the publicist well. I'm sure Oscar will either interview him for an article in Culture Map or he'll get it. We'll get him on the podcast to talk in more detail about you know, his relationship with the founders of Trap Kitchen and, and how he decided to come to Houston and all that. But yes, I think I think this uh, this is a little bit of an under-the-radar uh, new opening that, that could wind up being pretty successful. I'll countenance that, Daddy. There's a, there's a story there, and a story always helps. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's move on to topic number two. Dallas-based sports bar Boomer Jacks is opening two locations in Houston in early 2023. One in Katy, kind of near Katy, Asian Town at I-10 and the Grand Parkway, and a second in Webster near NASA Parkway. Boomer Jacks is known for a lot of things, scratch-made food, wall-to-wall TVs, backyard-style patios, being dog friendly and being relatively affordable. Matt, you're a sports guy. What do you look for in a in a sports bar when deciding where to go to watch a game? Does does Boomer Jack sound like something that might intrigue you? Well, definitely food for me. That's where it starts. So I'm not I'm less concerned about uh, wall to wall TVs. 
affordable pricing is is also something that's high on the list. So no offense to Boomer Jacks. I was going to say no offense to Dallas, but we both know that's not true. Uh, no offense. <laughs> no offense to Boomer Jacks. I, I'm not too familiar, but uh, the words sound good. And uh, you know, if 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 the Boomer Jacks lives up to those words, then maybe that, I think they may have some. Yeah, no, I I think that's right. I mean, I kind of ran this by my colleagues in Dallas. They they tell me it's very successful up there. I think they have uh, something like fifteen or sixteen locations across you know Dallas, Fort Worth, and its various suburbs. So that that indicates to me that they've got a winning formula. And then it's just a matter of yeah, you know, we'll you know we'll go whenever the the first one opens, whether that's the the Webster location or the Katie location, we'll try the food. We'll uh, we'll have a drink or two, and we'll see what we think. But you know, I, I won't pretend to be intimately familiar with the sports bar options in either uh, part of the city. But it seems to me that this is one of those where there's always room for one more if it's well executed. If if the food is tasty, if the service is welcoming, if if it provides the right environment and and of course being a family friendly concept so important in the suburbs i think especially you know we think about football season or astros playoff games i mean that's a family affair so that's just that just makes sense to me yeah you know i like dog friendly i like dogs i'm a big dog person so just one more one more layer but we'll see not sure that i'm going to be driving out to katie or clear lake but if i live there Right. Little little easier decision. <laughs> right. Absolutely. All right. And then topic number three, maybe a little more on this. Hungry's, the Mediterranean-inspired comfort food staple, announced that they are opening a third location in Tanglewood, basically at the near the intersection of Chimney Rock and Woodway. Matt, let me let me throw it to you. I mean, what's your relationship like with with Hungries? And start start with there. Uh, I would say I have an adjacent relationship with Hungries. I have several friends that I would consider devotees of Hungries, and and they're big fans. They they go regularly. They're enthusiastic uh, about their menu. It's been a little bit now, but the location in the village underwent a big remodel, and I think that was successful. The expansion has been successful, and I think that that location is a good spot for them. And I think um, that's what I think. <laughs> I think all of that's well said. I think that moving from, you know, just moving from their, their original location in Rice Village to that big new two-story restaurant really kind of took them up a level in terms of, you know, their, their prominence in the community and, and their expectations. They, you know, they rolled out a whole, you know, upstairs bar concept. that's kind of more adult oriented than the downstairs restaurant. That's really family friendly. Our friend Linda Salinas helped them out for a little while, helped them, you know, with a whole, you know, range of cocktails and other, you know, overall the beverage program. So, you know, that's been a positive development. Last year, they opened Heartbeat, their plant-based concept next to the Hungries out in 
Memorial Drive out in the energy corridor. And, and so they can bring all of that positive, all of those positive developments to this new location, you know, in an area that is still relatively underserved, kind of west of the Galleria, east of Memorial, Tanglewood, Briar Grove, very affluent, very family oriented. And Hungry's has, has that really big, that really eclectic menu, satisfies a lot of cravings, you know, salads, sandwiches, kebabs, pizzas, basically whatever you want. They've, they've got something that will suit. So, no, I, I think this is a very positive development for the area. And, and I think about the fact that, you know, Three Brothers Bakery is going to open their, their new location kind of nearby. We've seen some other developments in that area, right? We've talked about, you know, Craft Pita quite a bit. We've talked about Cabo Bob's a little bit. You know, all kind of in that, that Tanglewood, Briar Grove axis. I think, I think this is just another sign that that's an up-and-coming neighborhood as far as dining goes. Yes, sir. As you mentioned, it, it 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 is strangely a little underserved. You 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 wouldn't think that uh, that area would be considering the the uh, number of of residential units over there. But I I do think that area is is sort of sneakily a little underserved. When you think about places to go, there are are places close, but you're generally sort of driving closer to the Galleria or going, you know, across I-10 into Spring Branch or closer to Memorial and the Beltway. So it's a good fit for Hungries. I think it's a good fit for the their type of, of patrons. So I, I think that that's going to be a, I think they'll do well. And um, I think it'll be good for the area too. I agree with that. And, and, you know, having friends in the area, having family in the area, they want more, you know, they want, they want more options. They want places that are great for, you know, dine in or to go. Hungry's is known for doing all their own delivery, especially in the neighborhood, catering events, all that stuff. They're, they're very comfortable with that. So no, I, I see this being a very positive move for Hungry's and a, and a very welcome addition to that part of Houston. True, true. All right, Matt, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. This podcast is brought to you by Green Street. Located in the heart of downtown Houston, Green Street celebrates delicious cuisine, exciting entertainment, and live music, all in a vibrant urban setting. Green Street is the perfect spot for a dinner and drinks before or after a big game downtown. Grab a bite al fresco from on-site restaurants such as Guadalajara del Centro, The Palm, House of Blues, or MS Seafood Steaks and Oysters. Now, I'll have to say, I had the opportunity to visit The Palm, which relocated to downtown last year. It's an exciting update to just a classic Houston steakhouse, still with the prime steak, still with the giant lobsters, but in a refreshed and updated atmosphere. If you're not coming for dinner or after dinner, enjoy a drink and live entertainment from Pete's Dueling Piano Bar, or grab your friends and head to 810 Billiards and Bowling for a night of fun. Whatever the occasion, make Green Street your downtown destination of choice. Located at 1201 Fannin Street, 
Go to GreenStreetDowntown.com to see a full list of bars, restaurants, and entertainment destinations. That's GreenStreetDowntown.com. Matt, for our Restaurants of the Week, I want to talk to you about Lanyap Kitchen and Bar. This is the new restaurant that replaced Revival Market in the Heights. It is owned by Lane Cruz, the longtime general manager of Revival Market. She's brought her Louisiana heritage to Lanyap with dishes like gumbo and po'boys and beignets and, and all of that. So Matt, let me just uh, let me ask you, what did you what did you think of our lunch at Lanyap? You know, I the menu interests me. I like that kind of food. I'm a big fan of of New Orleans uh, or New Orleans. You know, with with any new restaurant, I, th- I think there are growing pains, um, and uh, this is one where I'm probably going to give the the kitchen some time to get their feet under them and, and check back in in uh, in a few months. You know, I think that's fair. I think, you know, we had kind of a highs and lows kind of lunch, you know, and, and, you know, right now they're kind of running on similar hours to revival market, right? Breakfast, lunch, you know, stick around for a little bit of happy hour and then wrap things up. I think like it, uh, six or seven o'clock. So not really doing dinner. You know, the space has been given kind of a mild makeover. I like that it's I like that it's full service, even at lunch. I, I'm with you. I think the menu is really appealing. It has all of the things that you want in your kind of casual Cajun Creole setting, you know, a muffaletta, uh shrimp and oyster po' boy, gumbo, jambalaya. You know, of what we tried, what what did you think was most successful? So not their, not their issue. My issue is, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, following a keto lifestyle right now. And so I tried to work my way, uh, around the menu a little bit, ordered the smothered pork chop pull boy without the bread. You know, it had good flavor. It was a, a cutlet and, uh, some peppers and onions, um, and supplemented that uh, with a Caesar salad, uh, which came with some shrimp and some preserved lemon. And, you know, fair portion size. Prices were reasonable. I don't know. For lunch, it, the Caesar salad was, was, was pretty large, which is not a bad thing. No, it was a, it was a, it was a generous portion. And it comes with shrimp, so you get the protein with it. You can make a, you can make a meal out of that Caesar. For sure. Yeah. I, I, th- th- thank you, Daddy. That's what I was trying to to say, and, and and you come in. That's that's why you're the professional, Daddy. I am just either one of those. I think could have been enough for for lunch. Is my point. That's what I spent the last two minutes trying to say. Right. Yeah. I right. I and I and I feel the same way about the the black and tan po boy that I tried uh, with the black and shrimp and the fried oysters. You know, just a, a very classic. Preparation. They're they're importing their po' boy buns from New Orleans. That's all to the good. You know, I, I tried the gumbo. There was a little bit of a, a vinegar note that I I couldn't quite place. And so, you know, I think, you know, it's a it's a it's a kind of a thin 
a thinner gumbo with a with the lighter roux. I thought it I thought it tasted good. Uh, they're making their own andouille sausage. I a lot of respect for that. The rice was cooked nicely, and then you know they they sent us uh, an order of jambalaya. You know, I think of jambalaya as a little bit saucier. This was this was uh, more of a dry preparation, almost like a like a Cajuny. Well, not not as creamy as risotto, but but you know, not with the not with the sauce, the jambalaya, like a like more of a a rice dish. But I I you know I think there's there's some stuff to like about this place. I think it's like you said. I think it's affordable. Uh, I think it's convenient. You know, obviously, you know, I've known Lane for a long time, so. You know, we got recognized and, you know, we paid for our meal, but they were they were very nice to us, as I as I'm sure they are to everyone. So, you know, obviously, you know, you got BBs kind of at the other end of White Oak. So, you know, there's no shortage of Cajun fare in the Heights. But, you know, this this works for me in a lot of ways. And and if memory serves, there were also some hush puppies. Yes, there were. Yes, we got a little a little bite from the happy hour menu, both the. uh Blue crab and the pimento cheese hush puppies. Again, you know, sweet, crispy. You know, give me give me the blue crab over the pimento cheese. Just kind of a personal taste thing for me. But that green curry tartar sauce I thought was was good. The tobacco honey gives a little bit of spice. Uh, balances out the sweetness of the corn and the crab. So, yeah, no, I, I thought that was good. And then, you know, finished up with some, some beignets with brandy milk punch creme anglaise like what's not to what's not to like about that well i'm not sure why are you asking me <laughs> so like you said you you want to give them a, a little more time to, to settle in before you go back i think uh you know like you said i think a couple of couple of flubs in execution but but nothing nothing fatal and and you know you can tell obviously they're they're very excited to to get this in front of people and there are a couple of dishes I want to try on that. You know, I want to go back for my filetta. I'm curious about the smoked beef pasta. I'd go back for breakfast, certainly. So uh, a lot to consider, and and I, I will certainly be back. Very good, Daddy. And then I want to move on from Lanyap and talk to you about Basso. This is the Spanish Basque-inspired restaurant that is opening next year in the Heights. Chef's Fernando Recchio and Jacques Veron offered a, a preview dinner, a three-night pop-up. Uh, you and I both attended separately. You know, Matt, Fernando and, and Jacques bring bring pretty impressive resumes from restaurants in Europe and Asia and California. Fernando was at Cezanne for a couple of years and then helped open both locations of Angler. Jacques worked at Angler. That's where they met. You know, these are all restaurants that hold Michelin stars in various iterations. So just throw it to you because you you were a, a, at one time you were a, a regular, something of a, as, as much as a regular as anyone from Houston can be at Cezanne. And, and I know you're familiar with some of these other restaurants where they work. So, so let me just ask you, you know, what did you what did you think of of Basso? I liked it a lot. I thought it was some very high-level cooking, and it was the appropriate amount of food for for a tasty menu like that. Lots of flavors, high-level ingredients, used in interesting ways. So 
to be honest, perhaps more than anything else, I, I felt like I wasn't in Houston. Yeah, I think part of that is that there's really, you know, thinking about kind of the menu. And and I, I asked Jacques about this. He said, you know, it's not necessarily that these will be dishes on the Basso menu, but these are the kind of flavors and ingredients uh, that they're going to use. They're going to cook over live fire. So they did some of that. They're going to use smoking preservation techniques. So they did some of that. But yeah, I, you know, thinking about just specific dishes, a barbecue beet that they roasted for three days, cabrito with confit potato, dry aged Elkhart tartare with uni. Those are not dishes I've ever, I've encountered in a Houston restaurant. So, so just based on that, I'm excited because I, you know, I always want to try something new. Not to speak for you, but I believe that we uh, uh, both were pretty enthusiastic about that tartare and uni dish, which was was really fantastic. And that the exo sauce that that was with the the beets and the radicchio had me licking my plate. Don't tell anybody. It's just between <laughs> us, Daddy. Yeah, just between us. So, you know, there was, there, there's a lot. I, I do that uh, it is going to be something new for Houston. And I just, I kind of think that's where Houston is. I mean, I, I Houston is, is going to start getting more and more recognition. And uh, I think Basso will be a welcome addition and also be part of that. Well, I think that's exactly right. I mean, we were talking a few minutes ago about how, you know, Oscar Edwards sees opportunity here with Cali, you know, Jacques and Fernando, it's the same thing. I mean, these are two guys with, you know, really impressive resumes. They could be, you know, in theory, opening their restaurant probably in any major city in the country. Uh, and it helps. I know it helps that Jacques is from Houston, but, but still, you know, his career hasn't been in Houston. And, and I do think it says something about our culinary scene that, that they think they can open a restaurant here with these kind of flavors, with these kind of preparations and find an audience for it. And, and certainly, you know, the people I was dining with at the pop-up seem to enjoy everything. And I can't wait to see what they do next. I think, I think it's, uh, I think it's very promising. Well, and I think the other thing too, is it's part of this, it's part of this whole movement, if you will, I'm an old man, but these chefs, that are going to be uh, leading the Houston culinary explosion, which is coming. May already be happening. Right. I, I think we're, we're in the, uh, the preamble of it. Uh, these guys and girls are young and uh, it's really exciting. There is some really exciting stuff going on in Houston. I agree with you that it's exciting. I agree with you that there is this movement and they're they're the places that you and I are are the most interested in, right? Neo, Totemo, Gulfstraumen, the Kokoro, Handy's Dozo guys that are making their that are doing their thing. I mean, there's there's a lot kind of percolating. And when Justin Yu was on this podcast, he he teased a couple of names, the next generation people that are working at at places like T Rex and Squabble and Nancy's Hustle and that are that are line cooks or sous chefs that that in the next two or three years will open their own places. So yeah, there's a lot kind of bubbling up and, and, you know, I think Basso may be flying a little bit under the radar just because nobody, nobody really knows who those guys are. They did the Totemo 
uh, Taco Tuesday takeover. But as that as that opening gets more imminent, January, February, whenever next year, I, I think you're going to hear a lot more about that place. And and I think once it opens, you know, assuming they can they can do for a restaurant full of diners what they did uh, in a prefix environment for ten, then we'll have a lot to say about that place when it's it's debuted. Indeed. And just like a couple others, and, and we're just scratching the surface. Street the Kitchen, Cafe Louis, Popolo and Emma. I mean, the list is Underground Creamery. It is impressive. Absolutely. All right, Matt, I'm going to say that does it for the Restaurants of the Week. Thank you very much. Thank you, Daddy. And I'll be right back with Chris Bianco. I am joined this week by arguably one of the most uh, famous chefs in America. He's the owner of Pizzeria Bianco and other restaurants in Phoenix and Los Angeles. He'll be appearing at the East Downtown Throwdown as part of the Southern Smoke Festival on October 23rd. Chris Bianco, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, my God. I'm uh, I'm so excited to be, you know, be back in Rocket City and... Uh... All my friends there and um, for really one of the best organizations and charities uh, on the planet, Southern Smoke, and uh, can't wait to get there. Well, yeah, I think that's a good place to start. I, I know chefs like you get invitations to do, you could probably do a festival every weekend if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah. What, what is it about Southern Smoke and, and Chris Shepard that, that you've said yes to this? This is going to be your third or fourth appearance, I think. Yeah, I think this will be my fourth. And um, I, you know, we do, you know, Steph's one thing. Uh, um, we had a lot of time to think during the pandemic when when things were, you know, kind of shut down. And there wasn't any events and we couldn't raise money and um, for great causes. And, uh, you know, one thing about chefs, we show up, you know, if there's, you know, there's national disaster, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, someone's struggling, um, you know, our friends call us and we show up or we call them and, you know, chefs are always happy to build it, you know, throw the barn up, I guess. And, um, um, you know, Chris Shepard is, uh, not only one of the best chefs on the planet, but one of the better people on the planet, I think. And, you know, when he calls you and, uh, you show up and, uh, I love him dearly like a brother and he is a brother. Um, and, and also, uh, you're right. I'd love to say yes to everything that we were able to do. There's, tons of worthy causes but you know uh you know besides not having uh you know besides uh uh you know um you know just time spent you know it's just it, it you know the chefs all they're donating their time there's no there's no uh you know we we get nothing but but we show up and we have to bring our teams and and, and so it does it, it's you know it's a lot in the restaurants and also you know keeping with everyone has kind of, uh, uh, you know, limited teams right now. I mean, you know, uh, staffing is tight. Um, so it's hard just to pull your team out you know, or, or um, you know, just get time away from your family and your business. So it's, it's hard. But, um, but Southern Smoke is one that, um, you know, Houston's a, a, a um, you know, a very, um, uh, I think, there's a lot of special cities, but there's something specifically about Houston that it's, it's diverse 
it's um, it's progressive. It, it's 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 uh, uh, you know there's some like they said Asian food blows your mind and you know just the collaborations of of of, of immigrant culture and 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 kind of Texas roots and um, all of it I think is a is a true slice of Americana in a way and something I'm just grateful to be invited to and, and witness and uh, watch its watch its evolution in a way. I don't. I don't suppose you know what you're going to be serving at the East Downtown Throwdown. You know, um, I believe we're going to do. You know, we try to do something. Um, you know, uh, I love whenever, I, wherever I am in the world, I, I want to usually kind of dive into, you know, what they have more than you know. I bring myself, and you know, I'm bringing one or two of my guys down, and um, one of my dear friends that you know worked with me for a long time. Uh, uh, you know, Angelo and, and, and is who's down at Cafe Louis that just opened up in uh, in Houston. Um, worked with me in Los Angeles and in uh, in Phoenix. Um, he uh, uh, we can't help me out, and we're sorting out some you know some of the Texas finest. Uh, you know, we're using um, we're gonna do some pizza for sure. Um, and I have good friends that. Uh, um, Dave from Texas Oven Company been bringing his wood burning oven down. He makes uh, wood burning ovens outside of Austin, and um, he'll be driving down because he's a sweetheart and he, he always helps us, um, uh, you know, navigate. And uh, uh, I think we're bringing a grill down too, and we'll do some. Uh, uh, I think we're doing uh, our version of we have a pizza called the Wise Guy here in, that we do in in. California and Arizona, um, you know, smoked mozzarella, um, fennel sausage, and wood roasted onions. And we'll most likely be doing a version of we last few years we do a Texas wise guy, which would be um, uh, a, you know um, there's a gouda that's that's locally made there style that's smoked um, in the hill country that someone made that was that uh, um, was sourced for us and uh, some of Chris Shepard's bacon sausage possibly. Um, some Texas sweet onions, and then our flour, our grain will be from uh, um, the great James Brown of uh, Barton Springs Mill, and uh, one of the finest, you know, uh, millers uh, in the country. Um, and I think those are the cool things. I think when you come to a, a place like Texas, and, and and specifically, you know, Houston, Austin, Dallas as well, um, and you really dive into what's there, you know, and and it's you know not only is there obviously great beef and, and, you know, and, 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 you know, and find great lamb and, and goats and, and that, but um, there's great artisans making, you know, great cheeses, great grain varietals that are growing there. Um, and, uh, and, and, and small farmers, you know, that are, that are bringing back a lot of uh, disappearing produce and along with a lot of, you know, in, in the Asian community, um, a lot of, you know, hard to find vegetables there as well. So, can find some cool chilies and, and things of that nature. So, uh, yeah. So we'll be doing something, in, in, you know, with a pizza with some type of uh, Texas roots, and we'll try to try to root in, into that pretty deep, um, for sure. Yeah, no, that that sounds great. I've 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 had it at previous other smoke festivals. I had it when Angelo was doing his Angie's Pizza pop up. So yeah, no, that that all sounds great. Yeah, and then uh, I think the night before we're doing something. Uh, we, I mean, I think we are doing something at uh, at Cafe Louis. We're gonna do a, a little event down at his place, and uh, you know, just to thank them for helping out. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, Southern Smoke 
um, it just, we have friends from all over that come and, you know, some of the best chefs on the planet that, that show up and, and, uh, and the people are just always cool. I mean, um, you know, the, 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 the people that show up, I mean, they're, they're, they, you know, they, they, they're great supporters. I mean, they've been, they've been very generous to, to, to the foundation. And I know that, to, you know, to Chris, it's always a, a thrill at the end of the event where, you know, holds up that big check and, and, and all that money goes to the people that, you know, right now, as you know, people are coming back from hurricanes or, or, or I don't even know if it's post pandemic as it's still a tale of, you know, that, 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 that insanity. And, and, you know, it's, it's, how do we navigate through this, you know, um, especially in our industry, you know, many industries, but in this particular case, you know, Chris's, um, the foundation of it or the base of it was kind of taking care of our own, you know, by, um, not waiting for just the government's help or, or, or outside sources is how can we raise money to help, you know, a restaurant that, you know, uh, that, that, you know, had a fire that, shut them down or, or God forbid, a, a horrible accident or, or stroke or, or uh, you know, um, something that, that took away someone's livelihood and, and you know, literally um, might have wiped out all they ever earned. And so, um, you know, Southern Smoke is, is, is there for for those people. And, um, and uh, yeah, I'm honored just to be a, a range up in the puddle of it, you know. Well, let me ask you about a, a couple other things. I mean, you you're featured in the new Chef's Table pizza series on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was that experience like for you? And and now that you've seen the episode, I mean, how do you how do you feel about it? Uh, I would say this. Um, first of all, it's it's uh, incredibly humbling and, and an incredible honor. Um, I was, uh, you know, I, I'm. I don't do a ton of, you know, uh, I don't do like food competitions or I don't do things that are, you know, I don't see food in that manner. I don't, you know, I think, you know, if yeah, we're not going to see you on like Iron Chef or whatever. Yeah. And I'm not against it. I mean, it's all good. I mean, for everybody, whatever their thing is, I'm not here to judge or, or, or to, 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 but I think for me personally, I think, you know, and I'll get to the chef's table thing in a minute, but just to set it up where, I think you know a lot of a lot of our, our food culture. I'd like to see it go back to bringing people to the table and sharing experiences, and and not so much how fast how fast you can cook something or, you know how uh, you know it, it's 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 in the in a moment in a singular dish you're crowned the greatest of, of all time. I mean, food is about it's it's a, a it's a collective. It's it's you're 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 dovetailing lifetimes recipes and and cultures and experiences, and I think that. Um, you know, um, unfortunately, a lot of our world is sound bites and, 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 you know, a self-proclaimed whatever. And, uh, um, and so when this came along, uh, I was honored to do it. I was a huge fan of the show. I mean, some of my, my good friends, uh, uh, that, um, Sean Brock, his episode, one that always stuck out and Francis Malman. And, and there were so many that, not just told stories like, oh, my God, these guys are so perfect and uh, whatever, but like they were human. And they and, and it and it told a story of humanity and struggle. And um, and that was what resonated with me about being on the show is not that I'm any better than anybody. It's more so that, you know, I'm as fucked up as everybody else in a way, you know, um, oh, I'm as I'm, I'm as 
you know, I burnt as many things and I've, I've, I've had a road that, that it wasn't, uh, it was imperfect, just like yours. And, and I think that, um, but within that, you know, I've, I've had many blessings and I've had many people that kind of lifted me up along the way that still do. Um, and um, so the experience was, uh, you know, um, it was funny, you know, again, just coming out of the pandemic where, well, we were in the pandemic then, it was a year ago that we shot it. And, um, you know, we spent, you know, uh, two and a half weeks together, you know, 15 hours a day and went back to New York where I grew up. And um, it was, it was, uh, uh, an emo- I guess, an emotional time in a lot of ways. It was, um, um, you know, we were trying to, I think, portray a world of normalcy in, in, a, in a world that still didn't feel normal as, you know, we're getting, you know, COVID tested a few times a day or, or everyone's around you, you know, in, in masks and understandably so I get it all. I mean, I, we wanted to be safe and all that, but, but it, it really, um, it drilled down um, just the, the, I think the, you know, the fragility of it all, I think, I guess, you know, of, of life itself and, and, and how at the end of the day, we'll all be crying for, you know, not, you know, some mountain of gold, but just time with people that you love and, and things that matter. And and I think those are the things that I, I was able to hopefully convey, which was, which was, you know, um, at the, uh, I mean, hopefully I still got some gas in the tank or, or miles on the road ahead. But if I, in case I don't, um, I'm incredibly grateful for, for, uh, you know, the road I was blessed to travel and, um, you know, um, and that includes a, a, a ride to Houston and in so many great places in the world. But it was, uh, you know, my it was funny because my dad, uh, um, who was in it for a, a moment, we were at my mom and dad's house. He passed away about ten days after that shoot, and uh, um, and there was a great scene. I got married late in my life after being married to only my restaurants, and uh, you know, uh, you know, ten years ago I got married. Now I have three kids under ten, and. And to have that, you know, just captured in a way of like, um, I don't know, just a, just a way uh, of uh, um, a reflection, I guess. And, you know, my dad had a beautiful life. He lived 94 years on earth and had a lot of extra pinballs in the machine or whatever. But um, uh, I'd be lying if it wasn't uh, um, uh, uh, an emotional experience for me. I, I mean, I, I will say, I think, you know, obviously there's the, you know, there's Fred Anderson and Ed Levine kind of talking about what makes the pizza special and you recount and you at the oven and all that. But what really struck me is, you know, your mom, your dad, your wife, your daughter, all like mm-hmm. very much included. And, and it's, I just think it's gotta be kind of hard to open up like that and, and just really like share your life with the camera. Um, It is to be honest. I mean, you know, and, and it, it's, it was, you know, I, I never spent a penny on advertising like you called me and I'm grateful. I'm grateful to talk to people. I'm I'm always uh, humbled by it. I'm always surprised they give a shit what I have to say. Um, and, and when they called, it was no different. And and, um, um, and I don't really probably to this day, to be honest, I don't really I don't not really understand. You know, I, I understand my 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 blessings. Um, but I know there's so many people out in the world that deserve, you know, the attention that I received. Um, I know there's so many people with stories, uh, 
much more complex and, and riveting and, and, and they're uh, uh, equally or more kind. And, and, and I like to think that I represent them, you know, in something like this more than I separate myself from them that they feel, um, uh, I guess, a brother in arms in a way, you know. And um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was very, uh, um, it was much more, I would say it was much more intense than I thought, you know, thought about uh, it going in. And and to be honest, I didn't think much about it when we shot it. Uh, you know, I was, I didn't really know what direction that they wanted, except that they were, you know, the director, Clay Jeter, was just amazing in his, um, his um, you know, um, his ability just let me be for better or, or worse myself and didn't ask me to, you know, throw pizza up in the air or, 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 you know, do some shit for camera that wasn't organic to my life, you know, and that included, you know, talking about things along the road that, that, um, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, some speed bumps along the way. And, um, yeah. And I know, man, you know, that, you know, um, um, Brett and Ed and, you know, people have said kind things about me and I'm humbled by them and grateful for them, but, but um, uh, I always say I can tell you who I, who I want to be, but only you can tell me who I am. And and I'm grateful they have those kind things to say. But I I only take it as a responsibility to not let you down in a way. You know, I, I look at it as um, I don't want to be I don't want to be the, the the person that you saw that doesn't live up to that expectation in, in real life. I think those are the things. You know, I think my wife talked about this, you know, it's like, you know, I, they do keep me up at night. They do. I am a like, you know, I might send you a text and have to send you a text after just in case it wasn't clear. You know, I, I don't want you to take something the wrong way. I don't want you to. I, I want you to understand where I was coming from. And I want you to understand that it always took a village. And as much as that show was about, I guess I was the focus of it. I hope that I could, you know, you know. Uh, you know, I would never be able to pull all the people under the umbrella, including my brother Marco was there and like all these people along the way that um, um, they, they hold me up, you know, every day. And and, and, and that includes, uh, you know, a, a village of humanity, you know, and um, yeah, so it was pretty, pretty, um, uh, it was a, it was a very special time, but also very uh I think self-reflective and, 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 and I think during that time, during the pandemic, kind of universally reflective on the world that we're going to live in and what do we come back to after this? And, you know, and uh, will people ever eat in again, inside again, you know, dine in again? And, you know, are we going to be forever eating out of bags that are hermetically sealed on our front porch? And, you know, what's again, what's life going to be? And, and I think we're still, I think navigating that now in a way. I mean, I think people's kind of, you know, their toes have been on the water. Maybe they're ankle deep now, but uh, I'm old enough to, I would say this, I'm old enough to remember when Jaws came out and I was probably, I don't know, six or seven. And I remember a lot of people kind of uh, creeping back into the, to, you know, to the beach, you know? And um, I think we're in, our world's like that, you know, it's, it's, we, we wonder why, where our workforce is gone, you know, whether they're doing TikTok videos or uh, driving Ubers or, you know, and that that's their, you know, um, choice and, 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 and bless them. But I hope we can kind of rebuild our industry to invite people back to work. And, uh, you know, um, I mean, it, it, it's a 
you know, we could talk for hours about, I think, what I what I hope for this world and what I hope for our industry and, and industries like it that, that, are, that are, you know, that are an immigrant story. You know, basically, you know, I'm a family of immigrants. My grandparents come from Italy and, you know, my wife's, you know, family's, uh, uh, you know, she's born in Phoenix, but her family's in Mexico. Um, you know, I'm just like every everyone else's story, you know, we're all from somewhere trying to come here. I think it make it better than we found it or better than one place we left or both, you know? And, um, and, uh, yeah, man, I, I, uh, I don't know. I just hope, I just hope, you know, that show that we did does something, um, for people that it's what they need from it. Maybe it's just about talking to people that they love or, or, or asking for their own help in their own way, or just seeing themselves, for how rich they really are, if they have people around them that love them and they love. I mean, that's 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 what you're gonna be crying for. I know I'll be crying for on my deathbed. It won't be my, you know, W two or whatever, my, <laughs> my, my savings account or whatever. You know, we we rent in this life. You know, we own nothing. You know, and you know, including our skin and bone. You know, and I think as soon as you realize that, I think things get easier in a way. You know, you don't you don't have to hold on so tight or worry about if somebody takes it. Because, um, you know, uh, it's it's um, you know you can't really take the things that matter in your life, and I think those are things I hope to you know at least uh, with my kids. I hopefully that I can um, at least give them a starter kit of of how to recognize uh, you know the road, uh, not less travel, but 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 maybe maybe the, maybe the one that might lead them to a um, a more um, uh, a life that, that is is of purpose, you know, for not them themselves, but the world around them, you know. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's very well said. I mean, you mentioned Angelo, so I I messaged Angelo and I said, "What should I ask Chris about?" And he said, <laughs> "He said he's never heard the story of the Bianco de Napoli tomatoes and how you got how you got started in the tomato business." Oh, uh, that story. Uh, that was, uh, you know, that was kind of a, a serendipitous. Uh, that the last thing I ever thought I would be is in, well, shit, any business, even the pizza business. I mean, I just, I was just, I went to work and, and if people show up, I talked to them. And uh, I don't know, it was about 18 years ago now. And, and uh, it was, uh, you know, I'm in front of the oven and there was a huge line of people. Um, uh, you know, waiting to get in and the doors open and the restaurant fills up. And there was a guy at the counter that, uh, a tall, skinny guy who had a nice smile and, uh, introduced himself and, you know, um, said his name was Rob DiNapoli and, uh, he grew tomatoes and, and, um, he left some for me and, and, uh, uh, he loved for me to try them. And I, I said, man, I'm so, I'm, I'm super busy right now, but I tell you what, if you, it was five o'clock and I said, if you hang out or, you know, go and come back, I'll, I'll taste them and we'll talk. Um, and, uh, he did, I mean, it was probably 10 30 quarter to 11. And, uh, I have a little bar next door to my pizzeria in Phoenix. And, uh, we sat at the bar and, and tasted his tomatoes and, and, uh, and they were good. They're really good. Um, but, um, they weren't, um, if I was going to switch from the tomatoes I was using, um, you know, I wanted them to be significantly better. I wanted, I wanted them to be or get preferably organic. 
I love to like affect the viscosity of the pack or, or, or there was some, just some things uh, at that time that, that I thought, um, you know, I didn't want any calcium chloride in it or, or, or uh, uh, I, I didn't want anything except hopefully tomatoes and some salt. Sometimes, you know, uh, de depending on, you know, uh, the harvest that you might have to put a bump of citric acid in, uh, in, in them. But uh, I, I think I had a specific kind of, you know, thing that I, I was hoping somebody would bring to me. And, um, and I just, you know, I just said, Hey man, you're awesome. And you seemed like a super nice guy. And, you know, but for right now, you know, I'll probably stick to what I, what I have. And at that time I was bringing, um, I had a Samazon that I really liked and I still like it a lot. And, and there's tons, many good tomatoes in the world. And, and, um, um, and we, you know, I said, Hey man, you know, feel free, come by anytime. And, you know, uh, um, the next year he came in and, and said, hey, man, uh, I got an idea. How about, um, you know, I've got one of our farmers at that time, a guy named Cliff Fong up in in Woodland, uh, uh, just outside Sacramento, Sac Valley, um, that will dedicate 50 of his organic acres to, to tomatoes. And I'd love to do it with you. And, and, you know, we can we'll harvest you know, you come for the pack, we'll, we'll, you know, you can set the viscosity or the juice pack, um, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, and I just said, well, um, I want to use, I want to use a scant amount of, of sea salt when I'm going to use a Pacific sea salt, uh, you know, either from, from, from uh, uh, either from Mexico or uh, in this case, we're using up, uh, up by Monterey, we, um, we brought some uh, sea salt in and, uh, and then basil, like a basil leaf or two uh, in each can and then, uh, and we did that. We got basil from Gilroy. Um, um, we, you know, we, we've got, uh, you know, uh, we had our tomato, first tomato harvest and it was, I think it was 2,200 cases, which is the first one. And I used about 2000 cases a year. So that was basically just for me. I wanted to, I wanted to, I committed to all of them. And, you know, um, my dad, uh, who's a great artist and, and, uh, spend most of his life doing packages on pay the bills and um, mostly wine and liquor packaging, you know, um, uh, we made up a, made a, uh, made a label for the can, um, painted the tomatoes that were, um, you know, I actually went up to our harvest and took pictures of the tomatoes and my dad did a, a quick painting and that's the painting that's on the can. And I scribbled some letters and we were going to call it. Well, I don't know. Your name's, my name's Bianco. Your name's Dan Ampley. You know, um, I think that'll be as good as it can be. And, you know, it's, it says, on the can I like business to say who it is, what it is, what do you do, and when you do it. And so this had the opportunity, at least with the tomatoes, you knew what it was. You'd have an idea. The two idiots on the can, you know who it was, for better or for worse. And that was half the battle. And I wanted only art on the on the front of the can. I didn't want to be too descriptive. Now the I think government makes us put tomato sauce somewhere in small print on the bottom. But the first couple of years, we were able to get away with just name and just the tomato print because I wanted people to pick up the can. And, and on the back, we told the story of where it was grown and harvest date and, you know, um, and that it was organic and that we're what we're trying to achieve and um, and kind of the, the marriage between, you know, you know, I'm not a lawyer that things would be fun to do tomato business or I'm not a whatever. This is, I'm an end user. I'm a chef. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I mean, I love, uh, I, I'm not a farmer, you know, I, we got some, you know, we have gardens at the restaurant and I love it, but 
but I'm, I'm, I can't tell you my gratitude for farmers, uh, especially to grow in this climate in, in our uh, world, not only the, 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 the uh, mother nature's climate, but the economic climate and, and the sacrifices they make. So I was very eager to work together with them to say, hey, man, you know, like Rob, my partner, that was a, you know, his family had a, a cannery. They grew up, uh, you know, incriminated from Italy and they had, you know, they were growers, they were packers. They understand the full scope of that the, the industry, and he was able to be a liaise between. I'm gonna I'm gonna connect you, Chris, with the farmer. I'll take care of the cannery, and you can t- make sure that the tomatoes are the way you want them, uh, flavor profile, and um, and maybe we'll have something special. And in that first year, uh, yeah, I was I went I, I was over the moon happy with the quality. I'm um, a few friends of ours. Uh, 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 got a few cases and really liked them. Uh, one was Alice Waters. She said, Panisa tried them and really liked them. And she told some friends and um, um, the late great Judy Rogers uh, at Zuni Cafe in San Francisco um, also got some and really, really liked them and said some really kind things. And, um, you know, we were, um, you know, we were suddenly, um, you know, suddenly in the tomato business. And, you know, we next year we grew six thousand cases. You know, raised, you know, and we had a few to share, and then um, so on and so forth, and and uh, and that's how we started. And now we're, you know, we're still a a smaller brand as far as the big picture, but we're about a two hundred thousand case brand. Um, we're we're uh, in most of the Whole Foods and many fine markets around uh, Houston and 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 and, and uh, you know. Uh, Toronto, Canada, and, and Montreal is a great market for us. Um, um, and uh, it's been uh, it's been uh, an incredible journey that we hope we can continue to grow. Um, you know, no pun intended, but grow in the, in the manner that is working closer with farmers, um, you know, um, working closer with retailers to make sure that uh, uh, we can keep up the standards and, and um um, and then working, you know, sharing it with, you know, it was really meant just to be for the really the chef community. And on the retail side, you know, the one of the only benefits of the pandemic was, you know, people started cooking home again a lot. And that really helped our our retail sales. You know, they were like a small percentage of our sales. And, and later on, uh, you know, it, it's become a significant, you know, everybody and their brothers making sourdough bread and pizza at home and has, you know, a rock box and, and, and you know, and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, oven in back in backyard and more power. Awesome. And, you know, thankfully we had something that, that um, you know, the New York Times has been kind to our tomatoes and, and Bon Appetit and, and blind tastings and those. And, and, um, and, and I would say this, I would say the biggest thing about our tomatoes is I would never say they're the best tomato. I, I think they're, you know, it's kind of like heaven. It's, it's kind of getting in, in a way, you know, um, they're, they're, they're no better than the other, the, the other best, but I think more what I tried to do or my take on it was like the, kind of like the wine industry. Like my little seller has bottles from Willamette Valley and, 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 you know, in Bordeaux and, and, you know, and South Africa and, and Chile and, and, and all over. And I think that, um, and the thing that's cool about that, um, is, I guess I'm romantic in some ways where uh, I think about, you know, um, imagine all the wine uh, that we'll be drinking in, in 2020 that 
you know, I wonder how I'll be affected when there wasn't tons of cars and planes flying. And, and I wonder what that harvest will be. I wonder it'll be affected, you know, during that pandemic when we were shut down in, in the grape harvest in that year, when I think, you know, dolphins were swimming in Venice and, and, and you know, how it will change, how will your terroir affect, you know, you know, something you're going to open up on your table, you know, uh, uh, in Houston, Texas or Phoenix, Arizona or wherever that, that it comes from other places. And I think that that's what I thought that, you know, tomatoes are not, you know, uh, uh, to, to preserve something, you know, it, it is an art form uh, for me anyway. I look at it in that way of like, you know, and I think it's a lost art of, 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 per, per, you know, preservation. And, you know, we all, we all, you know, I go to the farmer's market twice a week and I love it. I'm there. But I think looking at the farmer's bounty and seeing how we can suspend that season, whether it's through, um, you know, you know, freezing or, or canning or, you know, pickling or putting up, you know, putting down your basements if you have one, like, you know, our grandparents did, which is, again, those ways to buy things, you know, from our neighbors that are in season and look for the, you know, the darker days of winter to, to go down in our root cellars and, and, and pull them out. And, uh, um, and uh, yeah, so that's a little bit of the tomato story and uh, still a story uh, uh, in, in, in process. All right. I've got, I've got one more for you. Give it to me. I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast and he <laughs> said he was going to your new restaurant in LA and he said he, he, he was kidding. I, I, I recognize that he was kidding, but he's like, Bianco's, you know, when the sons get sold, Bianco's going to be part of the ownership group and he's going to be the general manager. <laughs> I suspect you don't have time to be the general manager of the sons, yeah. but I just thought I would ask you, uh, do you have an opinion? Like, what would you like to see happen with the team on the market and, and kind of the, the future of, of how you'd like that to go? I know you're a big basketball fan. Well, I am a huge basketball fan, and it was funny. When I moved to Phoenix in, in 1985, um, you know, uh, the Suns were the only pro team in town. You know, there was no baseball, no football, no anything. And I think, you know, the one thing that um, – you know, I lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico, for a couple of years, and, you know, um, I was never in a city before that had no sports teams. You know, growing up in New York, you know, yeah, we had, you know, uh, we, we, had, uh, we had our pick. In, 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 and um, – and, I didn't really realize how much, you know, um, uh, community driven that they were. I mean, I just took it for granted, I guess. And, and when I moved to Arizona, um, the first, uh, I opened up my first pizzeria, uh, Pizzeria Bianco in the back of a grocery store, um, 1988. And, uh, I had a sticker. Um, I had, I had a, my wood burning oven was here and right next to it, I had a, a stand up refrigerator and, um, I had, the. Uh, 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 a St. John's red, a St. John's sticker. I was a big St. John's fan more than the Knicks, but I also had a Knicks sticker on there. Um, just mostly because I like the, the logo. To be honest with you, I wasn't a huge Knicks fan. They always were terrible when I was growing up. And um, but uh, I just felt some kind of I don't know connecting me to something back where I grew up. And and one day this tall guy comes in and and uh, says, uh, you the Nick fan? I'm like, well, you know, I kind of like telling the same story. Well, I kind of like it. I'm from New York. And he doesn't say a word. You know, he orders a pizza, leaves. Next day, this tall guy shows up and uh, with a sun sticker and slaps it right over my my um, my Nick sticker and my St. John sticker. 
And uh, that was Jerry Colangelo, and uh, who owned the Suns. He just bought the Suns at the time. He was a general manager, original general manager, and put a group together after a scandal that they had. The Suns went through a big drug scandal in the, I think it was 85, 86. And, um, um, and Jerry took that almost similar like now in a, in a, in a, in a, in a team that was, you know, uh, in a, from a community's perspective, it was reeling as far as uh, many reasons, not only that they took a turn in their productivity on the court, but, you know, um, it was, it was a huge thing. And, and, uh, and it gave me a couple of ticks to, to the game and, you know, and I uh, went to the madhouse, the old madhouse on McDowell. And um, I just felt connected to the city, you know, in that way. There was something about it. Walter, I think it was Walter Davis last year. And um, and um, they just traded for Kevin Johnson, who's a dear friend today, former mayor of Sacramento. Um, um, you know, Dan Marley, who's, you know, who's a dear friend. And, um, um and it was it was like a small town, like you see those guys around, and you know, and, and not just for pizza, but they were part of the community. And and um, and I think that was how my love affair started with 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 uh, with the Suns. And then, you know, years later when I moved downtown, there were the arenas across the street, and um, uh, you know, I I catered a lot of uh, lunches for in the war room, and I got. You know, I I would hang around, uh, hang around, and uh, I'm 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 fascinated by the draft. You know, I'm fascinated by uh, one human being's um, assessment of another's, and how often we're wrong. And I use that a lot in my own business. Um, you know, uh, where like you know, you look at somebody and oh, they can't jump, and their small hands, and their mother's crazy, and but there's an intangible about them in a, in a collective, in a team, that somehow it's a missing ingredient that that. that the, the, the alchemy of it all, it's, it's, you know, like a Dennis Rodman or something, maybe can't shoot, but he can rebound or, and he's crazy, but in a team concept in the right situation with the right coach, it could be, it could be, you know, uh, productive. Um, so yeah, just, uh, you know, um, there was, and, and, and I would say this, I think it was heartbreaking to see, you know, what happened in the situation with the Suns with, with its ownership. And I think that, you know, um, kind of like I was saying earlier in our talk here, we own nothing. And, and the people that own the, you know, rich guys that own basketball teams are, are stewards for for the ships of their community, you know. And, you know, they're, they're tax write-offs or they're fun or they're whatever they are. Or some people, you know, uh, love the game and they're part of it. But in, in this case, I think that, you know, um, uh, I think the community's trust, you know, not just in Phoenix, but basketball fans in general. I mean, um, I, I don't think, you know, um, certain behavior is is acceptable. And um, and I'll be looking forward for a group or a team or a person that is that understands that, uh, you know, this is not, you know, uh, uh, chess or, or no disrespect to chess, but. You know, people are loud. People come to the game. The people, you know, wear it on their sleeve, and and uh, just like uh, you know, Houston Rockets, who I always respected, and I was a huge Akeem fan, and I was at the game when you know Mario Ellie hit that dagger in the playoffs, and, uh, uh, you know, back in the day, I'm in mean, like '95 maybe, but um, uh, but um, to answer your question, I guess that set a foundation for my love of. of of, 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 of NBA basketball, but um, 
Uh, well, Bill Simmons, first of all, I love him and he's a dear friend and he's a nut. And uh, I would say I have 600, for anybody that's going to buy the Suns, A, I hope they're a, a great humanitarian, a great leader. I hope that they're great communicators to the community and others. And I got about 600 bucks in a coffee can that's burning a hole in it that uh, I can throw. But uh, that's probably as, as deep as my pockets go, unfortunately. So as we all could imagine that, uh, you know, Bill's having some fun, but I'd be lying if I didn't see some of the feeds about, you know, there's no way that guy's worth this. And I'm not, not worth anything, close to anything. But uh, it's just it's just hilarious. But um, I hope that uh, I do hope that, um, um, you know, somebody that understands um, uh, a, a team, a professional team's role in their community. Uh, what it is and it goes way beyond you know wins and losses all right and then just uh you you mentioned that you know you like houston you've got a protege here in yeah. angela working to cafe louis your buddies with chris like uh yeah. a- any chance we get a pizzeria bianco here someday you know what i would say probably not because we have angelo there and i think he's he's uh he's the teacher and as far as that i mean i think he's a you know i think um, you know, Angie's Pizza, when it does open, I believe later this year, is going to be um, um, not only for his pizza, but Angelo's, you know, uh, his pasta making skills are next level. And, you know, he's someone, the, the cool thing about working with, you know, being an old guy, um, the one cool thing about it is you get to work with some young, great young talent that, uh, that can Google shit and can text and do all the cool things to get more information. And, and, uh, Angelo is, um, someone that is, uh, um, that is a very unique individual where he is, um, his demeanor, I think is going to bring him a lot of success. His, his dedication, his, um, I think his, you know, he's tethered to something that is bigger than him. And, um, so I think Houston's, you know, I'll, I'll come a lot and I'll cook with him a lot and I'll come do whatever. And maybe I'll pop up with him and, and do some things that people want me to do. But I'm also kind of I go places where, um, you know, if if Houston needed me, I'll be there in a minute. You know, and, and if Angela needed me or Chris needed me, I'm, I'm there in two seconds, um, probably four seconds. But but, you know, it's slower. I'm slower nowadays. But uh yeah, mo- most likely. You know, I don't know how many more restaurants I got. I mean, to be honest with you, my age. You know, the one I opened in Los Angeles just now, I'm always like, well, man, this is the last one, and maybe one more. And, you know, the reality is a lot of times we need to open restaurants because, you know, the margins are so small now, you know? Like, if you want to pay your people well, you want to go, you know, we, you know, like, hell, you. I mean, you guys all go to Whole Foods and go to the farmer's market. Shit ain't cheap, you know? And good shit is expensive and, you know, and organic, you know, flowers, 50, almost 50 bucks back. So all those, you know, understanding that world that we live in now and how we, you know, um, uh, we put the economics of that, you know, now lead to where, you know, my first place where, you know, first 20 years, you know, I was I was making the pizza along with one of my guys. We had it was a four man kitchen team and that was it. And we we're able to serve 300 people and, and, and kill ourselves. And. Now it's six years old, you know, now I, you have to replace yourself and the economics go to, it's like, wow, there's zero margin. I better do another place so I can put a whisper on that. And I think, you know, it is probably one of the great, um, 
misperceptions about, you know, what restaurants make and what they keep and, you know, the good ones to take care of the people, how slim that is. So, uh, you know, hopefully uh, uh, I won't have to do too many more. And um, but if I did do one and uh, and Angelo needed my help, I'd be I'd be right there with for sure. All right. Well, before I let you go, I want to play the lightning round. Five easy questions. Five short answers. Just say the first <laughs> thing that comes to mind. Chris Bianco, what is your favorite ingredient? Restraint. <laughs> what is the first band you ever saw in concert? Um, Peter Frampton, Frampton Comes Alive, 1976, Madison Square Garden. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Um, uh, a, a quesadilla from Taco Bell. Who is your favorite uh, athlete, past or present? Wow. I need eight seconds on this one. Uh, okay, I'm going to come back to that one. Go ahead. Next one. Next question. <laughs> All right. Last one. Usually I ask people what they, how they, what they get on their pizzas. That seems like a dangerous question with you. So, so I'm going to say, what are your, how do you, how do you get a cheeseburger? What do you like on your burger? That now that's a good question. I would say um, in a perfect world on a cheeseburger, I would get, um, um, I want, well, first of all, it's got to have a potato bun or a squishy ass bun or brioche bun or something squishy and it can't crack. It has to yield. It has to become, um, you know, it has to become one with all the ingredients. So I think cheeseburgers are incredible. I'm gonna, I can't give. I, I'll give a short answer, but there is no short answer to a cheeseburger. I will tell you that because it takes. It, it all matters. It's a. It's you know we overdo them. Um, and on mine, I want. I probably. I probably want. You know, I hate to say it, but I probably want like. Uh, I probably want like. Craft singles on it. I probably want. I want a. I want a, a melty, you know, uh, cheeseburger with some house pickles, and um, I might want raw white onion. I like caramelized onions or or, 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 or grilled onions as well, but I probably just some you know, um, just some pickles, some white onion, cheese, you know, great meat, proper salinity, kind of black pepper. Squishy bun, happy days. Sounds great to me. All right. I'm in one more shot. Favorite athlete? My favorite player of all time? Might, might, it might be, um, it might be uh, uh, going back, and I would say, um, I can't say. I got no, I have no singular favorite. I, I just don't, man. I got too many. All right. Fair enough. Chris, I'm gonna, this has been a lot of fun. Thank, thank you so much for doing this, and, and we look forward to seeing you. At the Southern Smoke Festival uh, here in a in a couple of weeks, um, um, I, I can't wait. And uh, big love to all my friends in, in the great state of Texas. And uh, um, uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks so much. All right, peace. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on CultureMap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.